when our second daughter was 18 months old and she had been staying with some friends and we got a call that she wasn't feeling well so we went to pick her up and uh, driving on a rainy country road, two lane road, before cell phones and Riley went into a seizure in the back seat, scared us to death. And we could get nowhere, no flashing lights, honking horns, nobody would move out of the way. So we pulled off the road and approached an old farmhouse with two ladies alone with their kids, dark rainy night, and they let us use the phone. So we called 911. When, when Dave was pounding on the door in the dark in the rain, um, I had yanked Riley out of her car seat and she clenched her teeth and she'd stopped breathing. And it was so scary. And so when the aid car got there, we scooped up our three-year-old daughter, Erin, and we are crying, and our daughter, Erin, wraps her little arms around us and starts praying for us. And so then we get to the hospital, and uh, she had to go from one hospital to a different hospital, and they work through the night. What's sort of miraculous in this whole structure thing is there happened to be a, a, a sort of a neuro, neurologist expert um, uh, that happened to be in this particular hospital from Germany at this time. He, he took the case and uh, he was, he was uh, giving us assurances that things would be okay, but for sure they were gonna be abnormalities when they did the brain scan and that they would do a second one sometime, some months later to see if things were progressing for Riley. And the church prayed and prayed, and the children in our church prayed and prayed. And one little girl's mom found a letter to the devil in her garbage can that said, he better get away from Riley. And then an older lady in our church let us know that the Lord had told her Riley was healed. So when this old saint told us that she had heard that Riley had been healed. It was just an amazing and encouraging thing for us. So they got her first CT scan back, the one that should look like her brain ran a marathon, that she was in, you know, she was going to improve from this. And the miracle was that it was absolutely normal. So now our daughter Riley is married to a boy who she met in kindergarten, and they have three children. And uh, all the little children love Jesus too. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you uh, for sharing that story, David Casey. Um, and as we continue in our series called Faces in the Crowd, um, what you see from this story, what we see looking at the scriptures, is we're going to look at people who encounter Jesus uh, and all that we can learn about them in that encounter, but what we can learn about ourselves and about our Jesus. And um, uh, I just really appreciate the vulnerability of that testimony and those two people. They're amazing. Um, so you turn to Luke chapter 13. Um, I want to ask you a question, or you're turning there. Is why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus come to earth? So you flip in your Bibles. Let me just pray over you. Or you are thinking about that question and getting to Luke 13. Father God... We love you, and as we engage in your word, I pray that you would just uh, move any distraction away, uh, and that even includes me, Father. May we all step aside and just let you have this moment, that we'd have open ears, open minds, and open hearts to what you want to say and do in our lives today. This is your moment, and we step in by faith. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why did Jesus come to earth? So you're probably kind of thinking about your answer. 
Well, in John 10, 10, he tells us. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to earth to bring life. You know, he describes his ministry as, I am offering you living water. He goes on in John to describe it, that I am the bread of life. I am the light of life. In John 14, 6, I love what he does. This is kind of a mic drop moment. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. He tells us that he came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. Here and in eternity, full, some of your translations say in John 10, 10. It's why in our vision statement, to see our communities change through hope in Jesus, one person at a time, why the first step stage in that is to passionately pursue Jesus because he brings a life. Everything starts there. And I'd say this, the only things that matter start there is Jesus Christ, our hope. And Jesus goes around in his ministry on earth, and he is teaching and bringing life to the area, to Galilee. And in there, he runs into some tensions in his ministry. And one particular is a certain day that he's teaching. He's bringing life. It's called the Sabbath. The religious leaders of the time, they get upset when he's teaching and bringing life on the Sabbath. So to understand the Sabbath, just a little quick history of where it came from, okay? The Sabbath started to begin at the finish of creation. On the seventh day, Saturday, God established the Sabbath so that man could set in the completion of creation all of it, that we get a rest in that. And then at Mount Sinai, it became law. Moses and the Ten Commandments, it's the fourth commandment, became the law for the Jewish people. And then as they got into the promised land, Israel, uh, they began to look at and interpret, what does this mean? What's the Sabbath mean? What does it mean not to work? And they, and I'm going to call this over interpreted in the oral law that they used. And they created rules. And those rules were, were written down in the, the Talmud, which is a Jewish writings, a collection of Jewish writings. And then in there, they squeezed the life out of the Sabbath and what it was intended to bring. And that's where we find the tension. And so as you look at Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10, uh, we're going to see an encounter where Jesus unleashes life. Starting in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. 
Verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Amen. So as we step into this story, and we see the faces in the crowd, we come across what Jesus is teaching in, verse, in a synagogue, verse 10. We are introduced to a disabled woman, a woman that is, is, is bent over, doubled over, some of your translations say, um, and I mean, I just imagine that. She's absolutely doubled over in life. I mean, I'm getting old enough. I, I, I double over like that. I'm not guaranteed I'm getting back up, right? <laughs> so, and she's living her life like this. It's tough. And God says she has a disabled, disabling spirit. What he's saying, it's really important as we see her, and she's doubled over, is what he's saying is, that this that you see that we are getting introduced to is not because of sin. Because the Jewish people believed that the judgment for sin was some physical affliction on you. And so Jesus makes a statement in here and said, hey, I want you to know that this isn't because sin, it's because of Satan, right, and his demons. And there's some, you know, Sanjay touched on it last week, so if you want a little more deeper teaching on that, head over to last week's sermon online and check it out. But what we know is Satan has an impact. All of creation groans at sin. Death has entered into our, our world because of Satan and sin. And his demons do, do not possess us, but oppress us. And so they press in. So it's Satan's work, not her. She's good. This isn't her fault. That's what he's saying there. And he says this, that she's been in this way, doubled over. Oppressed by demons for 18 years. Take a second. Think back 18 years ago. Some of you, I'm looking back in the younger crowd. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, um, You go back as far as you can. Okay, Some of you, that's easy, right? But 18 years. Just think of, that's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. And she had this affliction, this disability. And what I love about this, she's showing up to church. Has this affliction for 18 years, and she is faithful showing up. Showing up to where God's going to be talked about. There's no indication she knows Jesus is going to be there, and there's going to be this moment that we already know about. She's just showing up, being faithful. I tell you, when I was reading this and studying and praying over this, conviction came over me. Man, it takes a light little sniffle to miss some sort of church or spiritual gathering, right? Uh, I can't see you quite out there. The lights are bright, right? I'm a wimp for 18 years, doubled over, probably nearly crawling to get there, 
You want to grab the scene? She's showing up. She's showing up. Keep showing up. And Jesus sees her faithfulness. He sees her, it says. And he calls her over. All right, verse 12. He calls her over. He says this. He says, woman, you are freed. Lays his hands on her. He frees her. And imagine that moment for her. After 18 years, she straightens up. And man, in life, it just gets poured into her. Some of you may have experienced that where it's an American, boom, you are freed, you are released. But all of you, just to give a taste that we all have had, ever have the flu or cold? You know when you get better, all of a sudden, ah, the birds are a little louder and they're beautiful. The sun's a little brighter, right? Just life is amazing. It's, I mean, imagine what she experienced as life came flooded in at the power of of his word. Jesus spoke, and how long did it take? Immediately. He is powerful. He is faithful. Second Thessalonians 3 tells us this. Jesus is faithful, and he is on guard for us from the enemy's work. And we see it played out right here. Right here. I want to say a quick note before I leave this point. As we look at this scene, 18 years afflicted, uh, there are some of you that struggle with chronic illness, chronic pain. You've had it for what feels like a lifetime. I want you to know this. Keep showing up. I know it's hard. I know you feel like you have to crawl there. Keep showing up because he sees you. He loves you. He has not forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. He sees you. And I don't know when, but I believe his word that he will free you someday. So I pray that over you. If you're online and you know, you've had a chronic illness, Jesus, God, he has you. He loves you. So we have this disabled woman. Jesus lays his hands on her, heals her on the Sabbath. Woo! That sent... The ruler through the roof. Oh, man. Verse 14, right? He got angry, this ruler did. He got mad. He got mad because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was no work. The squeezing they did is on this work topic. And what was work, what's not work, and they were angry at him. Mad. You ever met a mad church person? <laughs> Have you ever been a mad church person? Let's, maybe some conviction coming to me on that, okay? Okay, we've all been mad church people. Okay, so let's learn something here, okay? Um, what happens is when people get angry, they start missing the important things, right? I uh, had this experience. I was a youth pastor, I was in the youth room, and I, I could kind of hear something, just a commotion, if you would. Like, well, what's that? And we're getting ready to have our youth group. And I stepped out the door and looked down the hall from the youth room. And down the hall by the drinking fountain, one of our church leaders 
I could tell was, man, reading this young man the riot act. I'm like, whoa. So I kind of walked down there, <laughs> see what's going on. Uh, this young man uh, just started coming to youth group, right? He's from the community, didn't know Jesus. And I'm listening, and what he's getting yelled at is because he had his hat on in church when he showed up. Okay, a little vote here. How many of you believe having a hat on in a building is disrespectful? I dare you to raise your hand if you agree. Come on, some of you generations, right? Um, right? Again, it's a real generational thing. If I said, okay, how many of you think it's just no big deal? It's a hat. How many of you do raise your hand, right? A lot of the young people are like, yeah, with a hat, get it on backwards, here we go, right? Um, but it's, a, it's this thing, right? He's yelling, I said, so I interrupted, and said, hey, um, John, go ahead and head into the room here. Like, the guy's name is Dale. Dale chill out. I said, man, I know where you're coming from, and you know, your first Corinthians 11 thing you got going, I can tell you've got this rule. I said, but you're missing the heart. Yeah, you want God respected, and, but you're missing the heart. This young man doesn't know Jesus yet. Uh, so let, let, it's, it's not a hat issue. It's a heart issue. Uh, and uh, that young man ended up accepting Jesus and became a leader in that youth group over the years, an amazing young man. Um, you know, but sometimes we get the rule right and we miss the heart. And so that's what's going on here. They're missing the heart. It's about the Sabbath and the rules. So here's what God's purpose of the Sabbath was. Let's go to Scripture. Okay? And when he created the Sabbath, here's his intent. Exodus 20, when he gave the law, he says this, um, for six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What he's saying here is we need to affirm God. The Sabbath was intended for you to affirm God uh, as creator, as a sustainer, and Lord of everything. And so it's an acknowledgement of his complete, beautiful, sufficient work. So it's to affirm God. And he gives the law a second time. And he says this. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It is about identity. He's saying, you are a freed people. He's talking to the Jewish people, right? This is what creating the Sabbath. You are a freed people. And you're called together, people. I want you to remember that you're freed and there's a land for you and I'm calling you together. Therefore, therefore, keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath day. And ultimately in Genesis 2, uh, as I, I kind of gave a quote already, he said, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what God did uh, is he rested, not that God needed rest, but to mimic something for us so that we would have a model of the right rhythms to life. And we would have a life of rest, of no work. Okay? So that's what God's purpose of Sabbath was for the Jewish people. But boy, they stretched it. They stretched it. They had Sabbath rules that says, you could not walk on grass because... You might knock the seed off, and it's like threshing, like harvesting. So don't even walk on grass. I mean, 
and, and this would be kind of a chuckling time. You say, really? Yeah, really. That's what they did with it. Then, okay, you can't wear shoes with nails in them, you know, because those nails, which you guys know shoe nails aren't real big, would mean you are carrying a burden. You see how far they're stretched it? It's incredible. Uh, still today, it's stretched. You know, I've been over to Israel. If you have not been to the Holy Land, you have to go in your lifetime. Start saving your money. You have to go. Not as a tourist, as a pilgrim. Christian pilgrim, you go, okay? Anyway, so I was over there. Um, and they have rules. Like, you go into the elevator on, on Sabbath, Shabbat, and you have to stop at every single floor because if you were to have to lift your hand and touch the floor you want to go, it would be work. It's like, come on, it's more work sitting here for 15 floors, right? Um, <laughs> you can't tear toilet paper on the Sabbath, right? You know, for Saturday, Saturday. yeah, really. So I, I imagine, I guess, Friday morning, Thursday night, everyone's tearing the toilet paper and making stacks, right? I'm kidding. What is, you can't, it's work to tear the toilet paper. I want my toilet paper to work for me, right? You know what I'm saying? Right? Uh, it's crazy, you know? And I've still got friends that uh, keep the Sabbath uh, and watching them, you know, and their kids. I mean, it's, it's this interesting thing is, I mean, they'll be listening to their music, watching their shows like kind of any other kid, right? And doing their stuff, talking, being mean to their brothers and sisters. And all of a sudden, when the sun goes down on Friday, Sabbath comes, it's a 180 flip. Everything changes. Eat different. Watch different things on TV. And it's like, wasn't that probably not a good idea on Tuesday? But all of a sudden now it is. It's just crazy what they've done. And it's in this tension. It's in this tension that Jesus, he points out that you are freed to life. That's what the Sabbath is about. You're freed to life. And in verse 15, what he shows is that Sabbath is about life. Okay, he starts talking and he says this. As this um, ruler is mad and angry, says, come back another day. You know, I mean, and you guys know the synagogue was really kind of an outpost. Because remember, worship was done at the temple. And the synagogue were these outposts where there's a certain number of Jewish men and they could have a synagogue. And it was like a community center that they did worship Sabbath, but it was open all through the week. He said, come another day and be healed. Not on the Sabbath. And Jesus, the synagogue, what are you talking about? Right? He says, you hypocrites. You're just draining this whole work thing and squeezing on it. He says, you hypocrites, don't you unleash your donkey or your ox from the manger and lead it to life-giving water. Don't you do that? Bring life? And this is his point, his challenge. He says, shouldn't, shouldn't this daughter of Abraham follower of God, one of you, shouldn't she be allowed to have her master unleash her as his sheep and lead her to life? Right? It's kind of a no-brainer. 
It's like, of course, because see, the, the Sabbath law was about life. It was about pointing and bringing these people to life. They missed it. And I tell you, when he pointed that out to him, you can see in verse 17 there, look at the response. All of the people, all of the people, the ones that were against it and had all the rules of the Sabbath, the adversaries, it says they were put to shame. They were put to shame. Meaning, we've been there, he's like, uh, yeah, I missed it. He's right. This Sabbath is about life, not about rules. <laughs> missed it. The other people, and there's always those people that they knew it. And they say, these overbearing rulers, finally they got put in their place and they rejoice and glorify God and say, yes, we have known, we have needed it to be about life and not about all these rules. So the Sabbath, when you look at the Old Testament Sabbath, what was it about? It's about life. It's about life, about pointing people and taking to the place the life that God created and intended for them to have. And because sin came into the world, it got interrupted. So the Sabbath was a time to come and connect with that and rest in that. So what do we do with that today? What do we do with the Sabbath today? First of all, you have to understand, in Mark 2, verse 27, um, that the Sabbath is a gift. That the Sabbath is a gift to man to take us, to bring us to the life that God intended us to have. And the law, because sin entered, as I said, the law was a foreshadow or a picture of the life that we would have in Jesus someday. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, and it really goes all the way into chapter 3 of talking about the Sabbath and the festivals and all these things that you know of the law, but, but the Sabbath was about pointing to like giving a picture, a taste of what we'd have in Jesus Christ. And then God, because of his love for us, sent his son Jesus Christ. And then through the cross and the resurrection, that the law was satisfied, it was fulfilled, and we were ushered in by the blood of Jesus into new life. And we have it. And so as we enter into that, we are called to celebrate that new life, that resurrection power that we have every day and with everything, Romans 12, 2 tells us. See, now, our Christian Sabbath, if you would, is not a capital S. You know, we haven't just replaced the Sabbath. What we've done is we are celebrating what God promised that would be that is fulfilled, and we live in the fulfillment of that promise, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability and the calling to live in the new life that he has for us. So it's a celebration and a worship. What does remain is not the law, but the heart of the Sabbath. 
of what God intended for his people before the law was given in creation, when the law was, came, and then we're freed in Jesus Christ. So how do we live in this heart of Sabbath? And I want you to think of this. The heart of Sabbath is like air that you need to breathe in. This air that brings life to you. And that's the heart of Sabbath. We need to bring it in. Take it in deep so that it brings life to us. And it's just like the original purpose. Okay? Is we are called to affirm Jesus. To worship him. To say there is no other gods besides Jesus. He is the one and only one. The all-powerful, the all-knowing one. The all-present one. The only name that can save us is Jesus Christ, our only hope. And we worship him. We give him worth and value. We do it through prayer, right? Communicating with him. Talking to him. We do it through song, lifting up praises to him. We do it through the word of receiving what he has written and said and has for us. We do it through giving, right? Saying it's all of yours. We acknowledge that. We do it through making him the Lord of our lives. Saying everything. Every thought we have, every disease we have, every dream, every fear, every hope we have is yours. You are Lord of it all. So we affirm Jesus through worship because worship is the heart of the Sabbath that we're called into. We're also called to identify with Christians, to identify with Christians. And that's our community that he calls us to be devoted to, to be committed to, to gather with, to be encouraged, so, and that we can encourage, to be held accountable, to speak into. There's power in us coming together corporately. See, in Revelation 1.19, there's something called the Lord's Day. So you saw the Sabbath in the Old Testament. There's this focus, this concentrated corporate focus on this Sabbath. Well, for us, the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, the first day of the week, after the resurrection, we are celebrating this new life on the Lord's Day. We are called to come together, to corporately, to be the family of God. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is very clear. Do not forsake assembling together, okay? Because we need to spur each other on, especially as the end times are coming. We are called together. That's tough sometimes. I was thinking of, uh, of this uh, point, and I thought of my girls, my daughters. And if you're a parent, and if you've ever parented teenagers in, in the church, you, you probably have gone through this. Um, they're, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, something in that range. And, and you'll recognize this. Dad, church is boring. Right? I don't want to go to church. Right? <laughs> don't raise your hand, right? Because that's every other church, but right here. <laughs> uh, it's boring. And I'd say to him, you know, Stephanie and Sydney. Um, yeah, I know it is sometimes. Uh, remember, okay, picture the church that we, I was uh, one of the pastors in, is it was a hymns only, and we were really bad at those. Just so you know, so we were bad hymns, right? And, and we tried to do what they call a 
choruses. Some of you people, a little gray hair, remember when choruses were entered into? So, so we did those really bad, but only every once in a while. Um, so it was hymns only, so songs they had no recognition to, right? Um, and then the pastor, love him, but he was your classic angry pastor. And his beef, right? every pastor has kind of a beef, right? And you guys will figure my beef out, and I apologize ahead of time, whatever it is. Um, but his beef were rich, old, retired people that were running around in their RVs and not working in the kingdom. And so literally, he would scream every weekend, just yelling. I've seen my wife, we're kind of laughing, right? Uh, and he had this line he used almost every week. You think you're God, right? Just, just do this weird voice. And uh, of course, not even relevant to my kids at all. And I said, I know, it's tough. I go there and sometimes, you know, that song doesn't do anything for me. Or sometimes um, that, that message doesn't hit me. But it's not about those things. It is and it isn't. It's about the object of the focus. That's Jesus Christ. It's not entertaining us. Someone's going to get up there and someone's going to sing about Jesus Christ. And it may be off key. It may be in some sort of phraseology I don't even get. But that's not a condition for me not to praise him and celebrate that. That message might be, I don't even get it. Might be the worst message I've ever heard. But if that person will talk about Jesus Christ, guess what? It's a message for me. And maybe the, the, the messy contact is really heavy for this person over here. I'm going to support them. But I know every given week, girls, when I go up there, especially if I'm not feeling like going, all of a sudden I'll see that person. And boy, I'm glad that they're here. They gave me a hug right? They love me today. I needed that. So it wasn't about anything going on stage and everything about the community, right? But sometimes I'm that person. You know, surprise you girls, but someone's going to see you and say, ah, there they are. I'm encouraged. And I think we're going through that right now. I mean, we introduced some new people on the worship team. How good does, does that feel? To see the family coming back together? We need each other desperately. We're called in to be in community together, to identify it. That is the heart of Sabbath. And then rest. Rest. The rhythms of God that he gives us, it creates a space for us. It creates the space for us to enter in to all these things, affirming Jesus, the coming into community, all so that we can enter in the ultimate Sabbath rest that Hebrews 4, chapter 3, or verse 3 talks about. As believers, we enter into the Sabbath rest that is Jesus. Worship's about Jesus. Community is about being encouraged in Jesus. And so we need to live a life with space so that we can receive what he has for us. Because people always say, what's the greatest thing facing the church right now? You've heard me say this before, so you might remember uh, it's not COVID, right? That's, that's a problem, right? And we can talk about that time. Uh, but it's busyness. No time, no space for Jesus. And you know, there's a lot of things that come in and rob us of that rest, that rhythm, that allow us to enter into our full Sabbath rest that is Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us. So we have to labor no more, and we're free in Jesus fully, completely. So what do we do with this? Hebrews 4.11, I love this. And I've got the verse up in the NIV. Okay, and yours, 
when you say strive, but it says make every effort to enter into that rest. Make every effort to enter that rest. So what do we do? You work. You work hard. You work by making it a priority. And again, I think your translation probably says strive, right? You work at it, but here, let me, let me hear this. It's not work as you are thinking about work. It's a different kind of work. It's a surrendering work. It is releasing, not my will, but your will be done. God, I want to step back. I want to decrease so that you can increase. Remember John the Baptist said that in the book of John. I need to decrease so you can increase. I need to let go. So the work is about this beautiful submitting, surrendering, unleashing. That could be you know, a habit you have. Could be a rhythm of life you have. The pace you're setting. Could be the, 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 the hurt you have. The pain you have. It's about stepping back and doing the work of saying, not my will, but your will be done. But this work, this surrendering work, allows you to enter into rest. Let's Jesus do his work. And this rest spiritually, physically, relationally, to enter into this rest, this place of rest. And when we're in that place of rest, what happens? We get the life that he has for us. We, could, we meet Jesus there. And this life that he has for us is a life that he says is full or abundant in this lifetime and in eternity, it's the fullness of God in us. And we can get that when we work and we get to rest and we get the life that he has for us. In church, when Jesus is talking about the Sabbath, that's what he's saying. He says, I want to tell you people that Sabbath is about life. And today we get to live in the heart of Sabbath, not the laws, not the rules, but the love and faith to say, yes, you are the one who and it's you, Jesus. So as the worship team comes up here, and I want you to think about a couple things. What are you called to work toward to have the rest he has for you? What is God just stirring your heart and saying, I need you to surrender work this? It might be your life. You might say, I need to surrender to Jesus Christ. I've never accepted him as my Lord or my Savior and said yes to him for the forgiveness of my sins. That's you. That's your first work to say, I'm going to decrease and say yes, Jesus, to you. I can't save myself. Only you can. And I accept your free gift of life that was paid for by your blood on the cross. And you defeated death for me through your resurrection. And I say yes and fate to that. That may be the work you need to do. You might need to do the work that is, you might have to give up something. So you know what? No, this has got me in bondage. I am doubled over. Life is robbed from me because of this stronghold of my life. And I need to say no. Because I am not in rest in that. And I need you, Jesus. I need the life you bring to me. It might be a habit. 
It might be how much time you're on your cell phone. It might be how much TV you're watching, what you're watching, how you're spending your money, the relationships you have, your attendance to church, your relationship with believers, family. What is it? So we're going to take a few moments just in prayer. And I want you to think about the heart of Sabbath in your life. And where do you need to do surrendering work to enter to the rest so you can have the life that he has for you? Let's pray together.